everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it is the final interview in the How I Got Here series. And it's going to be a little bit awkwardly different this time because I'm basically just going to tell you my own story, and it's actually not an interview. Um, so what happened was um, I wanted to have a How I Got Here interview to run every week up until Homestead because next Thursday um, is the media day for the championship four in Miami. So um, that will hopefully be a special edition of the podcast that day where I will be previewing um, everything that will happen uh, going into the Homestead race. So I wanted to end the how I got here today, but um, the last interview I had scheduled uh, kind of fell through the person backed out uh, essentially at Texas. Uh, No problem. I understand people, you know, can change their mind on things like that. So um, I get it, but that kind of left me shorthanded and in a bind. I asked you last week on the podcast what I should do about it and still continue to get feedback that um, some people who listen to the podcast or have followed me for a while um, don't really actually know my story because they maybe uh, just started off, um, you know, following me on Twitter or becoming patrons right when I started the Patreon site or when they saw the Las Vegas fight video. I've heard a lot of people from that. Oh, I never heard of you before that. Or even when Dale Jr. tweeted about my hat uh, last year, people said, I never heard of you before Dale Jr. tweeted about your hat. So um, people said that they might want to hear my story. I feel really awkward about it, to be honest, because, and and I know that sounds weird in itself because I I run a site called jeffgluck.com. So you'd think I'd be wanting to like sort of put myself out there. But I I would rather cover other people's stories and the favorite people in your favorite sport Um, and, and, you know, whether it's news or personality, stuff like that, uh, I I kind of tend to not really enjoy the the spotlight part of it too much, although I I understand it's part of my job in order to keep the, the Patreon stuff going and build up a Twitter following and stuff like that. But anyway, like I said, uh, I've gotten enough requests that hopefully you'll you'll forgive me for this being a sort of egotistical, self-centered podcast. I wish I could at least have had somebody to have this conversation with me. But as I mentioned, this is a last minute thing. I'm in a bind. I'm in here in Portland, uh, Oregon, not going to Phoenix um, until Saturday of this race weekend because I have the baby um, staying home to help with Sarah. Anyway. That's the apologies of getting that out of the way. Um, so feel free to shut this off if you think it's awkward. But I'm going to go ahead and just go into my story and my background and how I sort of ended up doing the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast that hopefully some of you have been listening to for the last couple of years. So first of all, to start off, I grew up in Northern California. I grew up in the Bay Area, um, south of San Francisco, Uh, We were in the 1989 earthquake. I was at the World Series game with my mom, and uh, we were sitting in the second to last row of the upper deck. We got really, really spooked by that. My dad was on a business trip to Japan at the time, so he'd gotten tickets and he'd given them to my mom and I, and we went to the game. Um, it, It really did a lot of damage in the Bay Area. Our house was okay, but ultimately my mom had gotten sort of spooked, Um, and so when my dad 
got back, she's like, you know, we're moving essentially, or you need to try to start finding another job. Eventually we ended up moving to Denver, Colorado. Um, because I wasn't so attached to Colorado, I was only there for high school. Basically I thought, well, you know what? I want to go to the East coast for school because I want to do something in sports. I actually thought maybe I want to be uh, a sports broadcaster. And, um, so, I thought that there'd be tons of sports teams all over the East Coast, you know, uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, Washington, D.C., um, all those places within uh, close drive potentially to each other. So I ended up going to University of Delaware. When I was at University of Delaware, my freshman year, I was looking through the course catalog to sign up for the second semester. And there was a course called sports writing. I had never done any writing um, and I thought that I was actually not a very good writer. I had never really gotten A's on my English papers in high school, you know, about Shakespeare and stuff like that. Wasn't really into it. So I don't think I tried very hard, but I sent an email to the college professor, um, who did the class, Bill Fleischman. And I said, hi, I'd like to get into your class. You had to get teacher's permission for it because in the course catalog, it said that you get to go cover Philadelphia Phillies games and, 76ers games and stuff like that in addition to, to covering school games and, and you know sort of simulating the sports trading experience professor fleischman emailed me back and said well you know we don't let fre- freshmen into this class this is an upper level class but i wrote back and sort of begged and he said okay well come into my office and talk to me and bring some of your clips clips for those of you don't who don't know are like writing samples of what you've done in various newspapers for school your school paper or paper or whatever and um, like I said, I didn't have any. So I watched a football game on ESPN and tried to write that. And it was terrible. Um, I think it was like all one paragraph. But I, I showed up at his office and I brought him this clip, so to speak, that I had just watched off, off TV and written a recap. And he thought I was enthusiastic enough to let into the class, give take a chance on me. But the condition was that I start writing for the school paper at the same time. So January comes around of my freshman year and I start the class and start writing for the school paper at the same time. For whatever reason, I think just reading sports in the newspaper growing up, it was sort of like a learning by osmosis thing. And I was able to pick it up pretty quickly and kind of get like the flow of how a sports story goes. And so I just loved it and jumped right in immediately. And I thought, you know what? I could be a sports writer. NASCAR though at the time was never on my radar. I was strictly a stick and ball sports guy. I can actually remember Professor Fleischman in our classes. He he was actually a NASCAR writer for the Philadelphia Daily News. I had no appreciation for this whatsoever. He would put up his uh, stories on the overhead projector as examples, and we'd sit in the back of the class and sort of snicker at his, at his stories. Be like, "Oh my God, NASCAR! Why does he write about this stuff?" You know. Anyway, little did I know that years later I'd be sitting in the Dover Media Center and the Pocono Media Center right next to Professor Fleischman covering races with them. So that turned out to be pretty cool eventually. But as it was, I decided that I wanted to maybe be a baseball writer. Of course, um, you don't really get those opportunities right out of college. I thought I would be able to uh, end up somewhere good because I had done some stringing for the Wilmington News Journal, and that was a decent-sized paper. And I thought, well, I've done that, so I can just start off at a, a big paper or something. And uh, it didn't work out that way. I applied for all sorts of jobs out of college, couldn't get anything. Uh, I ended up interning for the Philadelphia Phillies, actually, during spring training. I went down to Clearwater, Florida, 
and I spent their home games being media relations and their road games traveling on the bus with the team and uh, helping set up the dugout and do the equipment stuff. I would put the bats and the helmets in the dugout and um, it was it was pretty wild to see um, the players and things like that from that side of things. It actually kind of left a bad taste in my mouth a little bit about baseball uh, because I saw what assholes the players were and just how they weren't very nice people to the media. And I thought, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Nevertheless, I eventually got a job at the Rocky Mount, North Carolina Telegram. And um, that was a 12,000 circulation paper. And I was covering high school sports, of course, which is what you do for most people when you start out at a paper like that. But the great thing about a paper like that is that they allow you to go do whatever you want um, in addition to the high school coverage. So we, I, we would be able to say, hey, can I go cover an ACC basketball game? Can I go cover Duke Carolina? Um, sure. You know, they'd let you go do that kind of stuff. Or I even got to cover the Super Bowl when the Carolina Panthers were in it. Um, of course, on my own dime. I will say the paper didn't pay for that, but they'd give you the press pass. They'd give you the opportunity to go do it. One thing that they encouraged me to do was to go to a NASCAR race. So I met this paper in North Carolina and my sports editor says, you know, what? I'm going to send you to Rockingham Speedway. And um, I'm like, nah, I, I don't like NASCAR. Like I've never covered it. I've never been into it. And he said, you know what? You need to go do this because you never know when you're going to le- need to uh, know how to cover all sorts of sports. It doesn't matter whether it's field hockey, lacrosse, auto racing. You don't know what paper you're going to be at someday. And they're going to say, we want you to co-cover this. And you're going to have to know how to do it and what the rules are and what the flow is. So I said, all right, you know what? I'll give it a chance. I'll go to this not Rockingham race. Turned out this was the last Rockingham race ever. This was in February 2004. I went down there. I'd watched the Daytona 500 the week before when Dale Jr. won just to sort of study up on it and try to understand what was going on. And so I went down there and I was blown away. You know how you, you, know how you guys hear people say, oh, I, I never liked racing. And I went to my first race and I kind of got it. It all clicked for me. That was the same thing from a media standpoint because I'm going to this race and I remember I got to go to the driver's meeting and I'm like, oh my gosh, the access here is crazy. Like there's all the drivers just sitting there and you know, I knew some, some of them, I knew Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Tony Stewart, I'd heard of those guys. And then I see like Richard Petty walking around the garage and I'm like, wow, Richard Petty, you know? Um, then it was a really great race. I was impressed by like the speed and the sound and Rockingham was such a cool track. Um, I remember Carl Long flipped down the backstretch at one point and he got out of the car and he said, well, you know, I could see people in the grandstands eating chicken wings or something while I was flipping down. And I thought, man, that's awesome that they do that. And they're just so like sort of casual about it afterwards. And then it was a great finish. Um, Matt Kenseth barely beat Casey Kane to the line. So it was a really cool event. And I was super impressed. And I thought, wow, you know what? I want to go cover more NASCAR races. And like I said, at this um, newspaper, they let you do whatever you want in addition to your high school coverage. So I said, I'm going to start a NASCAR column. So I started writing about NASCAR every week, even though I'd only been to one race. But uh, soon I went to Darlington. They had two races a year at the time. I went to Martinsville. I went to Richmond. I went to the Charlotte races. I went to every race within driving distance, essentially that I could drive there in the morning and drive back at night. Um, it's had some really long days, you know, driving back and forth from Eastern North Carolina to these races on my day off essentially. But I totally fell in love with racing and started getting super into it and was just really passionate about it. So I was in Rocky Mount for two and a half years 
And I really, really wanted to move up and was applying to all sorts of papers all across the country because Rocky Mountain was a small place and I felt like I was going to get stuck there forever. So I end up applying to another high school sports job in California. And it just so happened that this column I had mentioned I was writing for the Rocky Mountain Telegram about NASCAR, we were part of a newspaper chain and it had been picked up. So other, other newspapers um, in that chain could use the column. And the, the sports editor of this paper, uh, it was the San Bernardino Sun and the Inland Valley Daily Bulletin, which is the paper that is in the Fontana area of California. The sports editor, Louis Brewster, he was actually a huge racing guy. And he said, you know what? I've heard of you for your column, for your racing column. We run it in our paper sometimes. And I, I read it. I think you're good. Would you, know, would you like to come out um, not only for the high school sports job, which would be your main thing, but to sort of be my backup for my racing coverage? So I was like, wow, this is amazing. I didn't realize I was going to have this opportunity. So I ended up moving out there, and um, Louis gave me a lot of opportunity to cover races. Um, I got to cover not only NASCAR at like Fontana, Phoenix, Vegas, Sonoma, but I also got to go to like NHRA races in the area and IndyCar races in the area. So that was that was really fun. And by that time, I had become a subscriber to NASCAR Scene magazine. Uh, which is no longer around, but it was a weekly magazine for those of you who don't know, and people would call it the Bible of NASCAR. So it was a huge, thick magazine. Um, it was sort of on newsprint, though, not glossy. And sometimes it was over 100 pages in a week, and they just blanket-covered NASCAR, everything NASCAR. They would send four or five writers to um, the track per weekend, uh, four or five photographers. I mean, uh, it was it was really amazing. At the time, there was no you know online stuff. There was no internet uh, for for NASCAR journalism website stuff. So getting a weekly magazine was still an important way to find out about the sport. And I remember that uh, I would always see crew people and drivers reading the magazine, reading NASCAR scene at the track. So I thought that must be pretty important. And I had subscribed to it. I would read every single article, cover to cover, every week. So one thing I had done while I was in California at working for the paper is I had gone and used vacation time to go cover the Brickyard 400 one year, just like covering the Super Bowl when I was in Rocky Mount. I told the paper, hey, you know, if you get me a press credential and I cover uh, the race, I'll go out. I'll fly out on my own dime. I just really want to go see Indianapolis. I really want to go to the Brickyard and I will give you all the stories from there. You know, use them in the paper. You just don't have to pay me. You know, I'll, I'll I just really want to go that bad. Well, while I was out there, it was sort of like an investing in yourself type of thing because I had started to make friends with some of the NASCAR writers and they were nice enough to invite me to dinner, Marty Smith and Jenna Fryer and people like that. Well, uh, Jenna was one of the people I had met while I was out there. So when this job came open at NASCAR scene in 2007, early in the year, one of the writers was moving to ESPN as ESPN's uh, coverage was starting. Jenna actually um, sent me a message on sportsjournalist.com, which is a message board that I was active on at the time. And she said, hey, I hear there's an opening at NASCAR scene. I had actually freelanced a story for NASCAR scene, had gotten some material at the track about the race after the race. And in other words, the race to the planes and all that stuff, the race to get home afterwards. And I'd pitched it to NASCAR scene. They ran it. So they were somewhat familiar with me. But I immediately applied after hearing Jenna tell me that there was an opening. And to my surprise, they gave me an interview. Um, I really didn't think that I was going to have a chance because there was a lot of NASCAR writers full-time on the beat at the time who were going after this job. 
But for whatever reason, the editor, Jeff Owens, was willing to bring me in. Uh, he flew me out to Charlotte, and I just sold myself as much as I could, gave him all those ideas. I was super enthusiastic. Obviously, I was a big fan of the magazine, and he gave me a shot and hired me in early 2007 to join NASCAR scene, and that was immediately my dream job. Suddenly, I was working with people in the office who I was like major fans of, you know, I was like, Oh, Bob Pockers is my coworker. Oh my gosh. Like I, I was like geeking out over Bob, um, Kenny Bruce, Mike Hembry, Chris Johnson, Lee Montgomery, Ree White, Steve Wade, Jeff Owens, all these people. Um, it was just a really cool time for me. I was just so happy, enthusiastic to have this opportunity. And it really was a dream. I mean, I started out traveling full time right away in, in 07, 08, and uh, unfortunately, at the end of 08, as you know, the economy went bad. And by the time 2009 rolled around, all of our advertisers had started to sort of disappear a little bit, selling ads. The paper fell on hard times. And we had launched a website, SceneDaily.com. And it was kind of apparent that maybe the magazine was going to be in trouble by the end of 09. We didn't know when or what was going to happen or who was going to lose jobs necessarily. But... Um, we knew something was going to happen. And we had been required early in 2009 to all start Twitter accounts. They actually started the Twitter accounts for us. And we were required to tweet because we had a deal with Sprint. We were supposed to put hashtag Sprint Racing on the end of every tweet. But one thing they told us was, look, you know, obviously there's a lot of uncertainty right now with job situation. There's this new thing called social media. We have this new website. The better you guys do at the social media thing, the better your chances are of keeping your job when it comes time to make a decision. So I threw myself into Twitter and just went all out, really made a huge commitment doing play-by-play updates early in 09. Um, and I, I just really started like, uh, I started the tweet ups that year, you know, everything. I was trying to build a Twitter following in hopes of keeping my job. Well, uh, January 6th, 2010 came around and that turned out to be the end of NASCAR scene. They called us all into a room and they started reading off uh, names and they said, uh, the group of people who are going to go in this room, uh, go here. And we, we knew that, you know, this was layoffs happening. And I just thought, uh, okay, well, I need to be in the same group as Bob because I knew that they'd never get rid of Bob Pachris. And um, they started reading off the names going in alphabetical order. They read my name of people who need to go in this other room and did not read Bob's name when they got to the P's in the alphabet. And I got this sinking feeling and I knew that I was about to lose my dream job and get laid off. So the magazine shut down. Uh, they end up keeping the website, but they decided not to keep me. And um, this is something that has still bothered me, to be honest, all these years later, because I've had a chip on my shoulder. Like I feel like I could have contributed to the website. Uh, I feel like I could have contributed to them on social media and they decided that they didn't want to keep me. So um, suddenly uh, I was escorted out to the parking lot after a brief time to um, pack our stuff. They took our computers, shut down our email accounts, watched us as we packed things. And um, it was very un unceremonious uh, departure. And I walked out of there and um, called my mom and told her that I just got laid off from my dream job and that I was probably gonna have to move back home to Colorado because 
Um, even then, as bad as the newspaper or the uh, media industry is now, I thought for sure there's no more jobs in journalism back then. It was already starting to go down south in 2010. So I just thought my journalism career was probably over. And uh, I was probably going to have to leave North Carolina. Certainly wouldn't be able to continue in NASCAR, um, let alone probably sports writing. Um, but one of the first things I did after losing my job, after I got home, was I tweeted out to the, I think, 3,000 Twitter followers I had at the time, hey, just lost my job at scene. Um, you know, I, I hate to say this, but if anybody knows of any jobs out there, uh, please let me know. Well, it just so happened that um, SB Nation which at the time was a complete no-name website, was starting up some racing content. They wanted to um, have someone be a racing writer for their website. Uh, they thought they could maybe sell some advertising around it. NASCAR was still relatively in decent health at the time, and they thought it would be good to have racing on their website. But they didn't have anybody doing it uh, from, a, from a professional standpoint, so they were looking to hire somebody, a guy named Jonathan Norman, who um, works in marketing in North Carolina now. He was friends with some of the SB Nation guys. They had reached out to him asking, and he got in contact with me. And it turned out the next day after being laid off, amazingly enough, um, I got this call, and then SB Nation called me and basically said, yeah, you know what? We're looking for a guy. Um, we basically don't know anything about racing. We're going to treat this as a franchise. So we'll give you this opportunity and you could build it and do whatever you want with it. All we care about is that our numbers go up and that we, you know, you build it into some sort of a decent racing content for our site. So obviously, you know, the pay, it wasn't that great compared to what I had been making and the, the travel budget was going to be very limited but I decided to go for it and try to stretch the travel budget as much as I could, try to stretch my income as much as I could. Um, wasn't married at the time. I had just started dating Sarah. Uh, our first date well, actually was the night before I got laid off from uh, NASCAR scene. So um, I didn't really have any commitments, you know, obviously no children, no house. And I just thought, you know, I can kind of do this on a, a lower salary. So I started SB Nation and just threw myself into it and tried to build it up into something relatively respectable. There was a lot of resistance at first, honestly, when I was at SB Nation because people at the time, you know, it was like um, they were viewing it as like citizen journalists, even though that wasn't the case. It was, I was being paid. But um, at the time that, you know, having your own blog or something like that, that was not a uh, welcome thing so much in the NASCAR industry, or it was just starting to sort of be accepted. And there was a lot of pushback from people. I had a hard time getting interviews, um, even though I had been at NASCAR scene, all of a sudden these same PR people who had been sort of helpful to me were no longer helpful. So it was a really big uphill battle for um, a couple years. But I was there for three years. And um, in 2012, uh, the sports or the motorsports editor at the time for USA Today approached me and asked to um, have dinner at Watkins Glen in August of 2012. And he said, listen, um, we have an opening for the motorsports uh, writer at USA Today to work alongside Nate Ryan, and we're interested in you. We'd like you to interview for the job. Um, we, we think you'd be good, and, and we want you to go through the interview process. And uh, honestly, at the time, I just thought, I'm happy at, US, at, at uh, SB Nation. They gave me a chance to do this, and um, even though I'm not getting paid a lot of money or it's not super high profile... I'm happy. And so why mess with a good thing? And so I told him 
Um, thanks, but no thanks, USA Today. I know it's kind of crazy to think about now, but I told USA Today, just not interested. I just didn't see the point. Uh, I liked the freedom of what I was doing. And um, even though that was a good opportunity, I just, it just didn't feel right. Well, um, later that year in October, I got a call from the actual sports editor from USA Today Sports, Mary Byrne. And she said, listen, uh, I know we talked to you earlier in the year about going through our interview process, but actually we just like to offer you the job. Um, you don't have to go through the interview process. We'd like you to just do some phone reviews and things like that, but uh, you would be our candidate. You'd be the guy. You don't even have to go through this. Like we, We've watched you work and we want to hire you for USA Today. So at that point, it was like, holy crap, like USA Today is calling me. This, this seems like fate hitting me over the head. Like I should really, really do this. And um, man, you know, I talked to Nate Ryan about it. He was like, dude, what are you doing? Like you have to come to USA Today. You have to work with me. Um, and so I decided at the end of that season to leave SB Nation for USA Today. I had a great first year at USA Today in 2013. Um, Nate was great to work with. And then, uh, and I was just sort of, you know, he was the lead motorsports guy. He was a guy who had been around for a while. And uh, I was sort of the backup guy. Um, you know, I'd do some stories, but most of the, the heavy lifting, I, I think I would say, was left to Nate. You know, he was sort of taking the lead on the big issues and things like that. And I could, I would write columns and things, but um, I was sort of, sort of protected in some ways by Nate and, and didn't really realize it at the time. But once Nate left for NBC, um, that was not a great time for me because I was elevated to the lead motorsports writer at USA Today. And with that, although it's high profile and you're getting on the front page of the sports section and you're, you know, you're, you're getting the stories and, you know, PR people are calling you to pitch stuff and NASCAR is calling you to give you opportunities for, to break news or, or whatever. There is a lot more scrutiny in that position because you are the voice for all this stuff. And that turned out to be, um, sort of an increasingly unpleasant, uh, couple years for me at USA Today. Everything we'd write. Um, apparently we were, we were told repeatedly by NASCAR people that, um, the one thing that Brian France read every day that was on his desk was USA Today. So he was paying attention to what we wrote. And if it was anything critical, we would get severe blowback in a lot of cases from NASCAR. And it just seemed like everything we'd write, um, you know, you're getting hammered by PR people or angry drivers or whatever, because it you know, even at the time USA Today, although it's, it's, you know, like all newspapers sort of on the gone down a little bit in, in profile is still like the nation's newspaper and a lot of people reading it, paying attention. Um, it had a lot of influence. And so people would just scrutinize everything. And it just, it honestly was sort of taking the fun out of it for me at the same time. Um, Mary Byrne, who had hired me and was really, really good to me and had my back and was an awesome editor had left and was replaced by, uh, another editor who, um, didn't know anything about racing, um, wasn't really interested in our coverage, I don't think, and really had no patience for dealing with NASCAR and uh, also really didn't wasn't super supportive of me necessarily. So you had those two things sort of combine where, you know, it's it's sort of in that harsh spotlight. It's not so fun. You're having to write about things that you're getting a lot of blowback for. And, you know, it's it's not like I regretted writing them because it was either my opinion that I really stood behind or it was an important story that we had to write about safety or something like that. Um, but it's just, you just get exhausted by fighting these battles 
so often and over and over. It was just a, not a great time. NASCAR PR at the time was a, a much more combative than they are now um, with the media. I think um, there was there was still the sense that the media, you know, the, the sport was going downhill. There was a lot of angst, I think, um, and it was directed. You know, there was just getting a lot of that at USA Today. You get you get the point. I've gone on about it, but. I was still fine there, honestly. I mean, it was still a good job, and I was getting paid a lot better than I was getting at any of my other jobs. So I probably would have stayed there for a while, but what happened was Sarah, my wife, um, she had started to um, embark on her career trying to be a child life specialist who works at a children's hospital. So one of the things, these these jobs are hard to get, these child life jobs, much like uh, sports writer jobs or NASCAR writer jobs, and so you have to be willing to move all over the country. She had started a practicum, which is like a mini internship at a hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I told USA Today that um, it was starting in September of 2016. And um, I told USA Today that, hey, just let you guys know, for the rest of the year, I'm going to be going back and forth between Charlotte and Detroit. I'll be flying to some of the races from Detroit um, because that was where Sarah was. And I wanted to spend as much time as, with her as possible. And the response I got blew me away from USA Today. They said, um, no, you're not going to be traveling from Detroit. And if you travel from Detroit to any of these races, you will pay for that for on your own dime because your job is based in Charlotte. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Um, You guys have like NFL writers all over the country and they travel to NFL games every week from wherever they are. The job, yeah, I mean, most NASCAR teams are in Charlotte, but the bottom line is, our job, 90% of it is at the racetrack. Yeah, I guess there could be some news conference in Charlotte if there was some major driver retirement or something like that. But for the most part, all of our job, all of the coverage is at the racetrack. Well, USA Today, the the new sports editor, um, he didn't want to hear it. And so I talked to my parents, actually, and asked for advice. What should I do? They said, you really should try to you know, have a conversation with him and just say, you know, uh, well, you know, you may have to relocate because your wife is going to start an internship and who knows where that's going to be. And then after her internship, who knows where her job is going to be. So you're probably going to have to relocate. So you better try to have a conversation with him about the future. If he's not even letting you travel to uh, travel to the races from the Midwest or from Detroit, I reached out and I said, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you about possible relocation, given all the stuff that's going on um, in, in my family's life. And he replied and said, no, we can't have a conversation. And I was like, wait, we can't even talk about it. And he said, he, I saw this email cause it's been another chip on my shoulder, kind of motivational thing for me. Um, he wrote back and said, no, um, having a NASCAR writer who doesn't live in Charlotte would be like having a Notre Dame beat writer who doesn't live in South Bend, Indiana. That's not in USA Today's best interest. And Again, I, I don't I just don't think he understood the racing world or how it works and how um, uh, most of the job is not in Charlotte. People live in Charlotte, yes, but you know to write about it's not there. So at pretty much at that point, um, I decided, well, I'm gonna have to leave USA today because um, there's no way that I can tell Sarah, hey, you can't go live out at your dream because this guy is is making me you know stay here for no good reason. Um, I wanted to try to find something else to do that would allow me to be flexible in where I lived um, and also allow Sarah to work at the children's hospital. I mean, her job, in my view, is more important than my job. She's helping sick children. She's helping their families. 
um, and helping them get through tough times. So I don't want her to, you know, I didn't want her to, to not be able to do that. That was more important. I thought to the world than, uh, writing about drivers uh, going around in circles. So I finished out the season at USA today. I took some time in the off season in 2016 to think about it. January, 2017 rolled around and I thought, uh, I, I doubled back with the sports editor and I said, you know, here again, um, are you sure that I can't relocate? Because, um, now my wife is about to move to New Mexico for an internship. Uh, just want to double check. Like, I really can't. Right. And he's like, no, you can't. So I said, okay, um, I'm going to have to quit. And he's like, well, sorry to see you go. I mean, it really wasn't even much of like a, a fight really much to keep me or anything like that. They're just like, all right, bye. Um, so again, it was, I think a product of, of them not caring as much about racing anymore. And they thought it would actually just help them shed some, some salary, I guess. Well, that left me, um, with nothing. I had no job. And, um, the only thing that I had thought of was perhaps I could do my own thing, start my own website. I had thought about it what I could do. Maybe I could start a subscription website of something and have people pay like a couple dollars a month to, to sign up for this website. And I could, you know, send them articles that way or, or post stuff behind a paywall. But then I thought about, you know, how NASCAR is and how so many NASCAR fans say they can't even afford cable and watch the races. And I thought what NASCAR fans are going to be spending extra money in a, in a massive manner to pay, to read an article, what they could read about online for for free anywhere else on ESPN or NBC or the AP or whatever. So I had been a subscriber on Patreon to a Survivor podcast that I really like called Rob as a podcast. He does podcasts about the TV show Survivor reality show and breaks it down. And um, after listening to his podcast for a year, I decided, you know what, I'm going to be a patron because he he would talk about it sometimes. Uh, I just thought I, I listened to his podcast twice a week. So you know, I'll give them 10 bucks a month. And that that's really, you know, I, I want, I don't want it to go away. I want to support what he's doing. So I just thought I'll try to, you know, help keep him around in my small way and sort of pay for the content that I'm using that I'm getting for free. So I thought, I wonder if that could work for like journalism model. Um, it's, and I just thought it, it'd be worth a try. Um, I'll try this thing on Patreon. If not, then, you know, maybe I will just drive Uber um, I had actually gotten an Uber code from one of my drivers going back from the airport. So I was going to sign up for Uber. I thought maybe I could maybe like work at Starbucks on the side and be like a barista or something. I mean, you, you might like laugh thinking about this, but I, I really thought, um, you know, maybe I could, you know, start the website as sort of like see who would pay for it, drive Uber, work at Starbucks, whatever, and just try to get it launched. Well, as it turns out, uh, when I launched it, on January 23rd, 2017, um, I put that out there. It was the first day of the Charlotte Media Tour, and the response immediately that day was super overwhelming, and um, that's a day I'll, I'll never forget for the rest of my life because at the, by the end of that day, I knew that it was going to work, and I knew that I wasn't going to have to drive Uber or get another job, that I could actually still do NASCAR full-time. Um, so many people signed up on Patreon right away. Um, and that was so humbling. And, and to all of you who support it from the start, who are still listening and are still supporting, or even if you just support it for a short time, uh, that is just so humbling. And I'm so grateful to you guys because this has really been something that um, has been able to not only keep me in it and give me a great life, 
but um, give Sarah a great life and have an opportunity to move out here to Portland, Oregon to pursue the job because she had applied for 60 hospitals and this was the only job she had um, she had gotten. And now in turn, we just had a baby four weeks ago. So um, that all of this wouldn't happen, including bringing a child into the world at this time um, without the patrons. I know that sounds maybe cheesy, but it's, it's pretty remarkable. So um, the patron stuff it, uh, on patreon.com, it, it started going well um, right away, like I mentioned, but it really, really took off when I happened to be on the pit road at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, and I was able to capture the fight between Joey Logano and Kyle Busch. Unfortunately for Fox, their cameras missed it. But um, where I was parked on or where I was waiting for the race to end on pit road, I saw Kyle Busch get out of his car and start walking down pit road, uh, marching down there rather angrily. And uh, I just thought, well, I'll turn my recorder on my, my video camera on on my phone and uh, just see where he's going. I didn't really even know he was mad at um, cause you know, when you watch the race at the end on pit road, it's hard to see what's going on, but I just so happened to be there when he threw a punch at Joey Logano. Next thing you know, that goes viral. And I think people, given that it was so early in, in Patreon, the response from the NASCAR industry was, Hey, look at this. You know, if, if this guy hadn't been sent to the track by his patrons, then nobody would have ever seen this footage. Um, the, the fight wasn't captured except for, uh, on my cell phone. And so people thought, well, it's worth it to keep them out there. Let's contribute. And so the people, uh, drivers, even people like that, um, helped elevate it. And, uh, that, that really sent it on a great course for Patreon, like probably uh, maybe it doubled the amount of patrons I had. And, um, so here we are, uh, almost at the second and uh, end of my second season now doing this, uh, still going pretty solid, pretty strong. Um, I have over 1000 patrons. The peak of it was 1100 patrons. So, um, it's down a little bit from what it was, but I still think as long as I'm over a thousand patrons, then, um, that's at a a solid level where I can feel comfortable going to, um, pretty much a full-time schedule of races or at least the majority of the races and, um, and keeping going like that and, and being able to support a family at the same time. So, um, anyway, that is pretty much my story. I'm sorry I rambled along. Um, this is probably going to be like the longest how I got here. And of course, it was with myself. So extra ego and self-centeredness, I guess, on that one. But um, for those of you who don't know, that's pretty much my my career story right there. I um, appreciate you listening to it. Of course, I appreciate all of you. And uh, I guess I should give a plug because... I, I do almost every podcast, and so since I men- mentioned Patreon, um, if you are interested in becoming a patron and helping me continue this dream journey that has been um, it's pretty much a miracle over the last couple years, my website is patreon.com slash Jeff underscore Gluck. Um, the, the low donation and per month where people pledge is $5. It's set as $5, but you can really do anything you want. Um, so pretty much for a cup of coffee or the price of two USA's days per month, um, you know, you could, you could help support me and keep me out there and I would appreciate it. By the way, a little postscript to this before I go, um, as it turned out this year, USA Today has now eliminated all of their full-time motorsports people. So when I first got hired there, they had four motorsports people, two editors, uh, basically concentrating on motorsports and two writers, uh, plus a freelancer. 
on, on racing. And now all those people are gone. So as it turns out, if I had stayed at USA Today, ultimately I would have lost my job anyway. And so by going to Patreon and doing this model, I just kind of got out uh, a year early ahead of it. Uh, I would have just been um, without a job and on the unemployment line uh, and maybe having a family anyway and having no way to feed them. So I think I'm going to stick with Patreon for the time being, as long as you guys are wanting to still support it. Um, might as well ride it out. I don't know how long it'll last, but it's going well now, so I'm going to keep going with it. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to the How I Got Here series all year long. I will tell you, if you've listened to this far, I, I want to let you in on what I'm thinking for doing next year. Um, so obviously, um, each year I have the 12 questions, and that will continue just with the different 12 questions. But uh, the themed podcast, so last year was the social spotlight. This year was the How I Got Here I'm not closing the door to ever never doing how I got here again, if there's an interesting one, but I really found that the most inspiring part of these, how I got here's was people's motivational stories and overcoming things and things like that. What I want to do is talk to people, obviously in racing, um, talk to successful people about their habits or motivational stuff. So I'd love to like talk to like Rutledge Wood about um, keeping a positive attitude and how he's just um, so friendly and high energy all the time. How does he, how does he keep that positive attitude? Or maybe I could talk to Jimmy Johnson about uh, a healthy lifestyle and working out. Um, what's, what's, what are his secrets for people or advice for people on, um, what he thinks would be a good idea to, to follow his lead on living healthy. Maybe it's about people's travel secrets. Talk to some of these road warriors in NASCAR. How do they stay on the road every week? What are their secrets for, for having smooth travel or, or organization, people who are so highly organized behind the scenes in racing, um, just things like that. I, I'd love to hear people's habits or their stories about um, what they think is are sort of the secrets to success. And maybe sort of each week that would serve as sort of like a motivation podcast um, for anybody that's listening to it and get you kind of fired up and feel good about uh, going and tackling a project or going and trying something new or, or maybe starting to work out or eat better. Um, things like that. Like I think that could help people. I, I know that I'm a big self-improvement type person, so maybe some other people would be also. So I think that's going to be next year's theme podcast. And I wanted to let you guys know since you listened to this one for, for so long. Anyway, I will finally wrap it up now. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all your time and I will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.